Greetings, and welcome to Church of Pod, where we come together to know God the Father by following Jesus, His Son. My name is Steve, and I'm so glad to be with you again today. In our first episode, we covered a lot of ground, a lot of foundational items. We shared some scripture. We talked about mission, vision, and uh, and also some core values that all were important. So if you didn't get a chance to listen, go to episode one, and you can catch up with us. Before we get into the heart of what I'd like to share today, I wanted to talk a little bit about the definition of pod. We alluded to it, and obviously when you think of a pod, I always think of peas in a pod. Whales come together as, uh, as families and as a community in a pod. But pod became popular during COVID when small classrooms, small groupings of people met together and it was co-opted for that. So the mo- more recent definition of pod is a group of people who interact closely with one another on a regular basis. Well, that's us. Now, if what you're looking for is simply sound biblical instruction, there's hundreds of places you can go to hear God's Word taught well. Church of Pod is designed to be a very different place to encounter Jesus. And one of the ways we'll do that together is through the stories of the saints. Story is very powerful and something that we don't use nearly enough. In fact, if you look at history, it's the way that Things were passed down. It's the way that values were passed down from generation to generation for thousands of years. So here, we're going to approach the idea of community differently. I'm convinced that God's Spirit is moving around the earth right now and asking who's interested in pressing into Him, really getting to know Him, becoming abandoned for His purposes. Now, last week I mentioned that I was privileged to spend my 20s and 30s as part of a community of believers in upstate New York. Well, that place has a name, and it was first known as Love In. It's a very late 1960s name, don't you think? A Love In for Jesus. And it truly was, and still is, because later in 1979, the name was changed to Covenant Love Community, and many longtime friends of mine are still serving the Lord there today. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. I want to read you a story today about a widow who lived in a small town called Freeville, about 10 miles east of Ithaca, New York. Now, she wrote this story in 1993. Then she was in her late 70s. And this is the first of three stories she wrote that year about how the Lord met her in surprising and miraculous ways, and also the people that she came to know and love. There's so much I could tell you about Margaret Hardesty, Peg Hardesty, but that will be for another time. I'm going to read her story as she tells it. Miracles Still Happen It was early summer of 1967. My mother lived alone in her apartment in the house my husband and I had purchased in 1960. Mom and I were both widowed. My husband and my father had both died in the span of one year in 1963-64. to Because of arthritis all through my body, which seemed to be more painful with each passing year, I had resigned my job as bookkeeper in the veterinary college at Cornell University. One day I said to my mother, Mom, how would you feel about us selling this house and barn with the 30 acres of land? We could find a smaller home that would be easier to care for. As usual with my mother, I could see the wheels turning in her mind. She was usually slow in agreeing with me, but this time she did not respond negatively. Instead, she said, 
let's take a ride around the area. Perhaps we can find something we like. Now, at 53, I was an older woman than her late 70s showed. We made several trips, even looking at mobile homes, and while I had my doubts about the wisdom of trying to live together in a home with only one kitchen and one bath, we had the fun of looking. Mother continued to putter around in her gardens, and we worked together in the planning and caring for the lawns and the property. It was always my plan to keep as busy as possible wherever we lived. By taking medicine for the pain, I was able to keep flexible. My white Samoya dog, Nikki, and I would take long walks through the forests and meadows. Then one day, as I was reading Prevention Magazine, I found a letter from a lady in Iowa who said she had purchased a cow to milk by hand, hoping that it would help keep her hands flexible. She claimed that it had been helpful for her. Well, that rang a bell with me, and I thought, I'm going to try to find a small Jersey cow and try it. I finally found a gentle, doe-like jersey, and I fell in love with it. She was pregnant, so in a few months, there would be a second one to care for. Well, it was not difficult for me to learn to milk her, because at this point, she was not producing a whole lot. But after her calf was born, she gave so much milk that the exercise of milking her was more than I had bargained for, when she gave 12 quarts twice a day. Many times my head throbbed with pain, as well as my back and hands. I kept thinking... I can't let this get the best of me, because there's got to be a way for me to get well and be healthy again. As I taught my eighth graders in a Bible study class at our church one Wednesday night, we studied how God's Word tells us in Jeremiah 33, 3, Call to me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. As we discuss some of the things the Lord might want to call us to Him for, we decided to pray for the needs the young people wanted changed. In that prayer time, I remember them asking God to heal Mrs. Hardesty of the arthritis and make her well. The prayer was simple, but somehow it gave me hope. Maybe God would do it for me. I had tried every other way I knew, and nothing changed, and nothing happened now either. I kept getting worse as the weeks and months went on. Many days I laid on a heating pad for hours for relief. Mother and I had not found a smaller home, but in the summer of 1967, we decided to advertise the farm for sale. We soon had a buyer, a man who owned a motel near us. He offered us cash, but there was delay because of certain court proceedings and exchanges of real property. It was during this delay I felt an uneasiness about selling and asked the Lord what I needed to do. I sensed that he wanted me to keep it for now. So I told the man that I changed my mind and could not sell it after all. He said he was surprised, but did not ask me why I had changed my mind. So my mother and I stayed here for another winter. In the spring, we planted a garden, and the little Jersey cow had another calf. Life continued to have its joys and pleasures, along with the pain. My insurance paid disability, which was a, a real godsend. The next summer I advertised again to sell the property. This time, the asking price was doubled what I had placed on it a year earlier. I thought perhaps the reason why the Lord had hindered me from selling then was because he knew my price was too low. We went through the whole process again with the potential buyer becoming very interested. He even gave me a down payment as security. His plans were to use the barn as offices for his real estate business, and the house had already been remodeled into four apartments which were always rented. It was September, with fall and winter coming on, and we were anxious to close the deal. Just a few more details to be cleared up 
and it would be final. And once again, in an even more urgent way, I heard the Lord say, don't sell. That was all. Now I was thoroughly confused. But since I had long ago learned to obey that voice, I told the man who was buying that I could not sell after all. This time, I told the person why. He was a neighbor, and I'm sure he planned to keep a record and find out what was happening. I returned his down payment, and our lives continued on as usual. Thanksgiving was past, and Mother and I were busy preparing for the final holiday season of the year. We were eagerly anticipating Christmas and the New Year holidays because we expected my daughter Priscilla, her husband, and two young sons to spend two weeks with us during that time. Each year they would drive up from their home in Florida to see a white Christmas with us. On New Year's Day, we woke up to the heaviest snowstorm we had seen all year. By early morning, the snow was several inches deep with forecasts of much more, even up to 30 inches. This was frightening to my Florida family, so by noon they were packed up and ready to drive home. If we can just make it through Pennsylvania before dark, we will feel easier about it, Priscilla said to her husband as they packed the car. This will probably be the last time we will drive up here in the winter, she continued, and she was right. They often came during the summer, but never again when there was snow on the ground and the traveling was treacherous. In one way, we were sad to see them leave so soon, but I was extremely tired with a lot of pain in my back. A telephone call from Priscilla that evening let us know they had made it safely through the storm. After doing the chores and caring for my Samoyed, Nikki, I had a light snack and prepared for bed. My nights were the worst because by morning I would be so stiff I could hardly get out of bed. When I turned on my radio to bring in my usual Christian radio program, nothing happened. The radio was dead. I knew I could not tune in to Montrose, Pennsylvania on my small battery-operated radio, but I put it beside my bed and began turning the FM dial. To my amazement, a burst of wonderful Christian music was coming over an Ithaca station. I listened as the announcer talked about the new station on Connecticut Hill just a few miles from Ithaca. And then I remembered seeing the newspaper headlines about the five radio network of stations being used by Pat Robertson of Christian Broadcasting Network, CBN, in Portsmouth, Virginia. The announcer said his name was Scott Ross and that he had been sent up here from Virginia by Pat Robertson. As I listened that evening to the new program, new in every sense of the word, on this opening night, January 1st, 1969, I realized something new had come to our region. Scott was talking about God and his purposes for our lives in a way I had never heard before, and I was overjoyed and very excited. He talked of his life before coming here, about his baby girl, Nedra, and other members of his family. He said something about God and how he is not a God far off, but someone we can communicate with every day, and we are his family. He loves us and wants to bless our lives in the smallest details. He would say that there is no one who is unimportant to him. All he asks is that we acknowledge him. When we do, he makes it known to us that he is our father and we are the children of his family. That night, I did not go to sleep until after midnight when the station went off the air. I listened to the end, and I remember thinking and saying, Lord, let this be real. Don't let it ever stop being part of Ithaca's life. It was like a prayer. I went to sleep. I did not know it then, but God had a big surprise in store for me. The next morning, instead of easing myself out of bed, first by getting on my knees beside the bed, then gradually working my way up to stand, 
I sat up. I stood up immediately. There was no pain, not even a twinge of it. I felt like I had a completely new life. I thought I thought that I would get a cup of coffee and take a Darvon pain medication, which I took every morning. That would stop any pain that might come on about 10 a.m. Only this time, no pain came. Never. I have never had any bit of arthritis pain since that time. I guess I was thick. It just didn't occur to me that I was healed. The day wore on, and I did not need any medicine. After a week without medication that I had been taking for the last 13 years, I realized that God must have answered the prayers of those 8th grade Bible class boys and girls. Today, 24 years later, my health is better than when I was in my 50s. Oh, I do have some aches and pains associated with old age, but nothing like the arthritis that plagued me for 13 years during my 40s and 50s. And I have learned to trust God more fully. I've learned that He has unlimited resources that He wants to share with us. I've learned that He is not stingy like we are, but He has plenty to go around. My concept of God is that there is nothing He cannot do. Everything belongs to Him, and because of His great love for us, his children, he will overturn every obstacle that keeps us from sweet fellowship with him. Wow. There is nothing he can't do. On two separate occasions, Peg Hardesty turned down offers for her 30-acre farm, the house, the barn, because of the still small voice of God prompting her, don't sell. A smaller place with less stress and responsibilities for a then 56-year-old woman with crippling arthritis looked pretty good, don't you think? The second buyer was willing to pay twice what the first buyer offered just months earlier. Might this have been the Lord's provision for two widows? The Bible is filled with people who, by the nature of being mentioned in Scripture, are automatically seen by people as larger than life, even famous. This wrong thinking leads many of us to exclude ourselves when it comes to being one of the key characters in the Lord's unfolding story. As Zig Ziglar used to teach, this is stinking thinking. The recent film Jesus Revolution took place on the West Coast, but it is and was not the only place the Lord was breaking out in the lives of his kids and making himself known. As you may have already figured out, the century-old dairy barn that sat right next door to the farmhouse was soon to be a lightning rod for hundreds of kids in their teens and 20s, hungry for the good news of the gospel, and a place where Jesus could be relevant to them. Scott Ross, the DJ that Peg wrote about on the radio late the night before she experienced her miraculous healing, was drawn to her and her property about six months later. That old barn became a place known as Love Inn. Each of us has a story. I don't know yours, but I do know this. God's promise to us is that no part of that story is wasted for those who love God. Now, if you're not yet a believer in Jesus, or if you already are, listen to this out of Paul's letter to the Romans. It's about this promise. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8.28. And I've read this one out of the New Revised Standard Version because I just love the, the richness of this particular one and probably because I've, uh, I memorized this <laughs> decades ago and you, you love the things that you commit to memory. 
Now, I believe Paul emphasized that for those who love God, who have decided to trust Him alone with their lives, there's a clarity and insight that helps us to lean not on fate, but on the Father and His purposes. Peg shared this story with me a few years after she wrote it for a class assignment. Now, why does a 79-year-old widow take a writing course? Well, because she was always asking how she could better use what God had given her. As she neared her 90s, the Lord was still sharing His secrets with her because she dedicated her life to hear from Him. And my challenge to us this week is, are we setting aside enough time to really hear what the Lord wants to say to us? There's a familiar scripture that says, I stand at the door and knock, and that's Jesus talking to us. And many believe that this is written to those who don't know him, who don't know the Lord, as an invitation to salvation. Maybe so. But consider that this is perhaps even more an invitation for fellowship to those of us who have already said yes to him. Now that's something to chew on this week. One of the things I learned over the two decades in that community of believers is how important it is to be a worshiper. Now, we'll be talking about that more soon, but for now, I'd like to point you to the notes and a link I've left there for you to one of the early songs from the 1970s we worshiped with. This week's song was actually written by my brother-in-law, Ted Sanquist, and is sung by his son, Jordan. Jordan has a YouTube channel where he's posted close to 100 songs written by Ted, and I like it because they're not a performance, not overproduced, just a man and a guitar worshiping. You'll find the lyrics posted just below the video so all of us can join him and simply rejoice for the gift of the new day we've been given. Thank you for spending time with me today. The email address is churchofpod at gmail.com. May God truly bless you.